G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. A conversation shortly. We will open our talkback line. You might like to involve yourself in our conversation, whether it be with a question or a comment, some sort of insight, because we're going to be getting into an important conversation developing around Australia's cyber security. Well, our federal government has released a report on how to better protect national interests, individuals and businesses from cyber criminals. It's come at a time when Australia is reeling from a series of major cyber incidents, including the Medibank and Optus data breaches last year. And you might have even been personally affected by the nationwide Optus blackout earlier this month and the more recent closure of ports across the country due to a cyber breach. Well, the government is spending billions, that's right, billions, to try to make Australia one of the most cyber-secure nations in the world by 2030. Our special guest today is Virginia Caligare, a recognised expert in international terrorism and counter-terrorism. Virginia founded RightSec. It's a Brisbane-based operation working with large overseas corporations, government departments and some blue-chip Australian companies. She has a background in military intelligence and was responsible at one point for the cyber security of a nuclear submarine project in her homeland of Brazil. Virginia, I might say a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you for having me. I did say uh, your homeland is Brazil. Uh, Give us a little insight into how long have you been in Australia and what brings you to Australia? Yes, I've been in Australia now for almost eight years. What brought me to Australia is the amazing quality of life and opportunities. And um, I was serving the forces for a while, a computer engineer and a soldier, lieutenant officer. But then I became a mother and, and my priorities were a bit shift. Um, and Australia looked like a great opportunity to start over. And um, Australia had skill shortages on my field, and it was like a combination of perfect factors. And here I am. Motherhood does change priorities. And so, uh, from expert in cybersecurity uh, to motherhood, and uh, you're dealing with those sorts of things. One thing you did say, which I think was very important to pick up on, is when you came to Australia, you recognised there's a lack of expertise in cyber security here. How big a lack do you think we have in Australia? Well, um, when I arrived in Australia, my entry card was a study. So I was doing a master's degree in my field, um, intelligence, cybersecurity, counterterrorism. And as soon as I started, there was like uh, members of the... Um, the professional community and lectures telling me you should apply for citizenship and residence here and stay because the skills you have, like we need so many of them, like it's we still have a shortage of 75, 75% of the roles are not um, assigned to an individual because we don't just don't have this knowledge in place. So they said we need your skills 
and you were doing studies at that time. Um, you know, are there people knocking down the doors to get into studies around cybersecurity, uh, you know, counterterrorism, uh, in intelligence areas like this? Uh, is there lots of opportunities for people to take on studies to get involved in this field? Yeah, so um, we didn't have historically in Australia a bachelor in cybersecurity or this type of field, but just master's degree. So the government got together and was in 2016, the curriculum for ATF Cert 4 uh, with hands-on experience was defined. And just this year, they created bachelors of cybersecurity. So it was more complicated before, but now it's uh, easier to achieve. And also any background can be leveraged to cybersecurity, engineering, system, sysadmin, legal, uh, legal background. Okay, now take us back to uh, some of your history here. I mentioned in the introduction uh, the background in military intelligence. You were mm -hmm. an officer in the Brazilian Armed Forces. Mm -hmm. um, and what sort of things were you involved in and so, so far as your role around cybersecurity? So I was a lieutenant officer in the Navy, and um, we, we, the main project for B Brazil national defense and security was the nuclear-propelled submarine for, to protect our oil, and we have a $5 billion budget at the time for the first one. And when you're dealing with nuclear um, energy and reaching nuclear elements and you, this type of science that is mastered only by five countries in the world, you become a big target for cybercrime. Because other nations, they don't want to pay for that research. They don't want to pay for someone to advise. So gaining that knowledge through cybercrime, compromising systems and stealing data, it was a, a, a very um, reasonable thing for, for cyber criminals. So my role with my team was to prevent that from happening, protecting systems and people and behaviors. So you're repelling cyber attacks and no doubt that even in the time, which is a short space between when you were involved in that military intelligence role uh, and uh, take this, you know, within a decade later, things are not getting any easier. We're hearing more and more about the clever cyber attacks that are happening around the world, and we've seen those here on our shores. So this is not something that's getting smaller. This is not getting contained. This is actually getting bigger. Oh, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And the cyber criminals, they're getting more sophisticated. They have more resources. They work. Um, they're like normal enterprise companies. They work working hours. They have investment. They are poaching people from nice universities with the background and training them. Uh, we are not dealing with boys with hoodies sitting on the on the basement. We are dealing with organized cybercrime and most of the time with state-sponsored uh, organizations that they have all the, the backup and the funds from, from rogue states. Virginia, you are a Christian and you've got a, a you know, an organization set up here in Australia now and you're dealing with cybersecurity. Is there something in our faith which motivates you in this area of being involved in cybersecurity? Uh, is there a separation from faith or is faith all very much a part of what you do? You know, I've, I've leveraged everything I learned in my life. And like, if you consider the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit serving as one of them and my, the call for me to serve uh, either national security, defense, the military or serving our community, protecting them from cyber criminals is part of this call. And, uh, and being a Christian, my call is to serve as well. I've, I've served in my community and my church and even with my organization now. I usually treat it as a mission field because I, uh, I can be more um, outspoken 
when I'm running the company, I respect all faiths and they feel loved and cared for. But uh, we also pray together and uh, before closing a deal or before making a big decision, I always present that to the Lord. And so it has uh, it has blessed me a lot, blessed the company. We have prospered and we have successfully protected large enterprises in Australia and government organizations. We sit on two panels with the government and um, and everyone is happy, the word of mouth. And I see People might think, oh, you're successful, but I see I'm blessed. Blessed and wonderful to think of. Uh, It's interesting because in Australia we haven't had to deal with the sorts of attacks in a terrorism sense that we might have seen around the world, places like Africa and places in the Middle East, uh, even in Europe. Uh, churches that have come under threat. Uh, so far as your local church goes, uh, I don't know, are they impressed or are they not that they've got a counter-terrorism expert in church? I mean, the, what are your thoughts for churches? I mean, we we haven't had to have a high level of special security, but maybe that can change in an instant. Uh, what are your thoughts here so far as churches go and the thought of a terrorist activity and how you might protect yourself in those cases? Yeah, we have two... We have several big conflicts, armed conflicts happening around the world, but we have two big ones, um, uh, Russia and Ukraine, and we have the, the Palestine and Israel now. And we know that the attacks, they didn't start physically. The cyberspace is the fifth domain to war, and uh, the attacks are coordinated and uh, disrupting banks and disrupting uh, uh, critical infrastructure. Transport is very common. We saw in the past uh, Russian against Georgia and other countries, countries in that re- region. But not always the, the motivation is political or war. There is also um, social and cultural motivations and beliefs. And um, being a Christian organization can make you one be one may, may become a target by being a Christian motivation because perception is also really relevant in the field of cybersecurity. How a specific group perceives you, if they think you're a threat or they think you don't agree with their, their way of life and their beliefs, they might come for you. And we, we've seen this, um, it's already happening, like uh, right sex is, we provide instant response and we have seen airlines being attacked because they're considered polluters, uh, cancer care being attacked because they do tests using skins of human beings, uh, church being attacked because they are supporting um, saying no to abortion and other, other um, initiatives like this. So it's not always on the news, but uh, in um, smaller scale, it's already happening. So there's a little forewarning there that when you start to see cyber attacks on the increase, that may actually lead to an escalation in those things. Uh, so when we've seen those, you know, in a national sense, uh, Medibank, uh, the Optus data breach, um, uh, cyber threats to our ports around Australia, uh, this sort of thing sets off some alarm bells and our government, are they, uh, are they attending to these things in a appropriate way? Do you think that our Australian government is on top of the cyber threat that is uh, there right now? Yes, yeah, so for five years now we have had a budget for a for cybersecurity nationwide um, and then we have just a new cybersecurity strategy passed um, um, myself. I want to be very critical, but uh, uh, I wish there was more um, how to do and some uh, uh, formal requirements there. But what we have in place now is much better than we what we had before. There is a committee being put together. There's billions in budget being invested. There is this baseline foundation of what should be done. And the government is looking at supporting small business that don't have the budget uh, 
by themselves to pay for cybersecurity services or put the controls in place. So we even have a ministry now for cybersecurity in Australia since last year is the first um, because the threat is real, the threat is acknowledged, and the threat can be really disruptive. We have had in Germany and U.S. people dying after hospitals were uh, reached by ransomware attacks, and uh, we cannot allow this to happen in Australia. So I think the government is on board I see another rev- revision of this strategy happening because we need more specificities, but it's a great start. Before we get into maybe the big business side of things that we would like to hear your thoughts on, Virginia, what about small businesses? People who might be listening to us now, whether they're in the big capital cities or whether they're listening to us from country settings, even remote locations, and they're just going through the motions, they're running their small business, they're keeping their their life afloat. Uh, what sort of threats are there for people at the, the lower end rather than just the bigger picture that we'll get into? Yeah, so on the national and the, the country point of view, um, Australia might be targeted because it's associated with one side of a war or is doing business with one specific country. But the biggest motivation of all for a cyber attack is financial. Those units that organize cybercrime, they want to make money. They want to monetize from their uh, attacks. So with small business, if you're making money, if you're collecting personal information, you are targeted. If you don't have the budget to to implement controls and do a risk analysis or a gap analysis, you can start. Uh, the Australian government has created Australian Cybersecurity Centre that belongs to the Australia Signal Directorate. They have partnerships that are out of cost with individuals and small business. So you you could go online to Australian Cybersecurity Centre and apply to be a partner of the Australian Cybersecurity Centre. They will tell you about threats and how to protect yourself how to document formal requirements, and uh, tips on how to stay secure. The Australian Cyber Security Centre, and uh, anyone who has a small business uh, or a larger business, uh, you can connect there and that'll be a, you know, that'll be some uh, input into how you protect yourself. Yeah. So the players that are working here, um, you know, from national players, I mean, I'll, I'll get into some uh, some questions around even accusations that uh, nations like North Korea are into uh, these sorts of ransom attacks and uh, and fundraising by uh, by ransom, uh, but then small players too and small businesses that are under threat are these things happening just from people's bedrooms, maybe in different you know dark basements around the world, uh, those sorts of uh, those sorts of places. Where where are those attacks all coming from? Do you think? Oh, we do have scripty kids that are like just kids that are curious to know and perform attacks, but they're not the, the biggest players. So we, we do have hackers that are part of organized crime, organized cybercrime, and they're monetizing because when they, they break into a computer of an individual or the computers or a small company, they will also, if they find photos that you are showing your kids and you took a photo, they will monetize by selling to a pedophile. If they find your Medicare number, they will sell on the dark web. It costs $282.00 and someone is going to be receiving tri- treatment under your names. And then criminals, they can monetize from any piece of information. If there's first name and last name and address, they will want to take it. So we're not dealing with um, uh, with kids most of the time. We're dealing with um, sophisticated or very well-trained or very well-inspired um, criminals. They want to get to your data. So if you're a small business, uh, I have a, f- uh, a few tips that I would say, 
multi-factor authentication. If you use a username and a password to log into your systems, also enroll for multi-factor authentication. That is a second layer of security. Even if your password is compromised, the criminals will not have your device or your iris and your fingerprint to get in the system. The other thing is back, do backups of your data because ransomware, they come for small business. We have many small business calling us desperately. How, I do, how do I recover my data? So get the means to acquire a, a backup solution. It's not too expensive and backup your important files so you can continue your business after an incident. The important thing is the criminals will encrypt your data with a ransomware where they, they're going to take all your data and they will ask for payment. That is the ransom. While paying a ransom is not a crime in Australia, you need to notify if you did, and that money goes straight for people smuggling weapons for criminal organizations, terrorism groups. So you don't want to pay. You don't want to be fomenting criminality by paying for a ransom. Let's bring our faith back into the picture here because clearly when we're talking about these sorts of threats, there's bad hackers and there are going to be good hackers, those who are interested in the defence of ordinary people, defenders of uh, what is right and true. Is there something in our faith here that uh, might inspire us uh, to be on the side of the good hackers? Let's call you a good hacker because mm-hmm. you're involved in the, in the defence of uh, innocent people so that they're not victims of the bad hackers. How do you see our faith involved in, in, in that sort of dimension? So in this industry, um, um, I'm known, I speak to conferences and summits, and some people call me sheepdog. In Intel, they call me sheepdog as well, because we have the sheeps that go on with their lives. They are unaware of the threat, and we have the wolves, the bad guys trying to, to attack them and take something from them. And then there's the sheepdogs, the defenders. And um, and that's what we do as a business at RightSec. We are, we are penetration testers that is uh, also called ethical hackers. We are hired by companies to try to attack their system, find the problems, let them know and advise them on how to mitigate those issues. And I think with Christianity is the same. We see a threat. We see a sheep that is lost, not aware of the risk, not aware of maybe missing eternal life or, or enduring a difficult life in, on earth without having the comfort of having Jesus. And um, I think it's very associated, like it's uh, this cybersecurity is about securing, protecting, serving, and so is Christianity. Wow. Uh, who would have thought of that dimension, uh, the sheepdog uh, versus the wolves, and uh, like a pastoral care element there of protecting the sheep? Just fabulous insight. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call. Steve is in Parks in New South Wales. Hey, Steve, welcome along. Uh- Good I Merry Christmas, and God bless you both and all your listeners. Thank you so much, Steve. What are your thoughts? The reason I'm ringing, uh, uh, this is a question directly to Virginia. I've recently read a book called Future Crimes. The name is Future Crimes by Mark Goodman, G-O-O-D-M-A-N. Mark is M-R-C. The man is a U.S. cybersecurity expert. He advises the FBI in the United States and Interpol in Europe. Mike, in the book, it comes out that, you know, all these, uh, Virginia, all these antivirus softwares like Norton, Microsoft Security, McAvee, uh, Mr. Goodman makes it very clear that only 5% effective. 
Now, is it any wonder why governments and corporations around the world are continue their cyber security is com- uh, continually being breached, and nothing, absolutely nothing, is being done about it? And remember this: all our computer equipment is built in a country that can be hostile towards us and to the U.S. and Great Britain. Um, Steve, you, you're you making know, some very good points here, but let's uh, give Virginia an opportunity to, to respond to that. Um, you know, we often have uh, all sorts of software protecting our home computers. Uh, is it only 5% uh, effective? Uh, what are your thoughts here for Steve and some of the other things that you might have noted? Thank you, Steve. Uh, I've read this book a few years ago, I think uh, 2016 or 17, and things change. Things are very dynamic in cybersecurity. Um, I agree. Um, antivirus are not very popular anymore. But one thing that I want to establish here and, and make it really clear that there's three pillars to cybersecurity, people, process, and technology. It's not only technology. Only by deploying an antivirus or a similar solution, I'm not protected. I need to perform awareness training. I need to skill up my people, and I need to define process and, and also do a risk mapping of how I want to protect and what I'm, what I'm protecting and from who I'm protecting. So nowadays, like RightSec has three branches. We have the strategic governance and, and risk management. We have the the offensive part, that is the penetration testing and the good hackers, if you may. And then we have the defensive, that is the SOC, the, the Secure Operation Center. We no longer use and manage for our clients the old-style uh, heuristic um, antivirus. We have tools called um, EDRs, Endpoint Response and Detection, and XDR, Extended Detection. They leverage machine learning, artificial intelligence, and, uh, and heuristics and uh, behavior. So mapping against intelligence tools now, the, the tool I use in my SOC that is my SOC is powered on can defend 99.9% of those threats. And all of those EDIs, most of them are built by the Israeli. So it's, uh, I know some of those solutions, McAfee, et cetera, were built in China and coming from there. But most of EDIs today, Sentinel-1, Palo Alto, um, and, and others, they are... Before we take another call, uh, just quickly on the nuclear submarines, I wonder if you've got a a brief comment for us, uh, Virginia, because you were looking at the protection, the cyber security around a nuclear submarine project in Brazil. Uh, There are plans to build these nuclear submarines here in Australia, in Adelaide. Uh, What are your thoughts for the viability of that sort of move? Well, in 2016, when Australia was signing an agreement with France for the the standard um, um, diesel electric submarines, I said to the people around me, I I give it less than five years for them to change their minds. So submarines are tools for national defense. And the electrical diesel one, everyone knows that engine requires oxygen to operate. So those conventional submarines, they need to come up to the periscope coat to acquire oxygen. When it happens, they are visible to the enemies. And Australia is a big island. It's a huge continent inside of the water. The nuclear-propelled submarine will allow the submarines to be down deep in the water and uh, stealthy and not visible by the enemies for days, months, even years. Is the psychological factor of the individuals that require coming back up. So I think it's a good thing. And in terms of some concerns with security of um, dealing with nuclear energy, um, nowadays, the the 
the facilities and the process are so secure, more secure even um, than uh, electrical bases. And um, as long as the, the residual products are disposed in a secure way and there's cooling process and redundancies and, and business continuity around, we're not going to see, uh, my opinion is that there's no safety problems involved. Okay, well, we won't turn our conversation into just being about nuclear submarines in Australia, but uh, it sounds like there's a tick of approval from you as to the possibilities that are there for Australia building our own nuclear subs. Hey, let's take another call. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Richard in Alstonville in New South Wales. Hey, Richard, welcome along. Uh, g'day, guys. I had um, two questions for Virginia. Um, first one being, can you see large similarities in the in the World Wide Web and artificial intelligence today? Okay, Virginia, um, the web, artificial intelligence, does that increase the threat? Um, I'm just the similarity he's asked about is about if it's going to become popular and uh, widespread use as the World World Wide Web. Or is, uh, can we get back to him to clarify? Uh, Richard? Uh, uh, sorry, I, I, I'll, I'll clarify more on that. I'm, I was meaning um, in themselves, because when the, when the internet was first designed, it was supposed to be um, new technology, game-breaking, all that sort of stuff. And what I mean is, is artificial intelligence um, pretty much the same sort of technology as the internet? Is it, is it used in the same way? Yeah, uh, artificial intelligent generative tools that can be used for a myriad of purpose and they are here to stay and people are already using them. And I was just discussing here in the studio before, it's like a knife. You can use a knife to cut food and serve dinner for your family or you can go and commit a crime. So the, the bad guys, the criminals, they are aware of the potential of artificial intelligence generative tools. They are using it as well. And um, many government agencies are adopting it. Uh, I work with my clients or implementing security by design. So what we do before the adoption of those tools, we need to understand the scope, where they're going to operate, the type of data they can deal with, from who we're getting those tools and what the the risks involved. But yes, it's going to become as common as the Internet became one day. Uh, Richard, do you say you had a second element to your question? Yeah, there was. Um, I was relating it to, like, I'm not, myself, I'm not terribly big on artificial intelligence. I don't, I don't particularly like it. Like, I understand the internet's something we've got to use. But the fear is with artificial intelligence, is it going to become something because that can be readily controlled without the ability to be able to defend it? That is, that's a big issue that I see in the future. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still not looking at artificial intelligence as robots thinking by themselves and doing things to us and things going uh, um, out of control. But like business-wide, um, marketing teams, they don't need to create images on Photoshop anymore. They just tell artificial intelligence, do this, put a background, put a tree, put a kid, and etc. and it's done. It takes minutes. So it's a way of saving money. And uh, so business want to adopt it. I've seen job descriptions written by HR that were fully written by um, ChatGPT. And every function of a business can leverage um, artificial intelligence. But like if it's not leveraged with control and considering the risk, it can become a threat. Threat because the data will be exfiltrated. Criminals will leverage that tool. But like I still see several years between now and the moment we're going to have actual robots 
um, using artificial intelligence to perform everyday tasks. Hey Richard, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Just before we move on from this, uh, some people are seeing artificial intelligence as a huge threat for our future. Uh, machines controlling uh, things that we do. But then we might be concerned about rogue nations, foreign actors who are also uh, about uh, interfering with our lives. Which is the bigger threat, do you think, Virginia, right now? Well, like when we start using drones, we didn't expect that uh, um, terrorist organizations would use drones to attack their neighbors as nations and like. And for every disruptive technology, there is a threat. Um Hackers today, they need to script. They need to take the time writing code to hack into systems. With artificial intelligence, they just tell the computer, write this code for me, and it can be done in in minutes instead of years of preparing a weapon. We call malware, those codes that hack systems, we call them weapons. Uh, They can be cyber weapon, but they can be just a malware. And it's much easier for them now. They need less time, less resource, and less studies to get to that point. Come back to something we were talking about just before the news, and uh, I'm sure that some listeners missed the name of the product uh, that you said would be the best way to defend your personal data. Uh, And this could be for every listener listening to us now because uh, so many of us will have invested in all sorts Mm of uh, online software to protect us um, the one you mentioned was called XDR, Extended Detection and Response. What's different about that that compares it to the sort of software that we're using to try and protect our data online? This is the most, um, uh, much more evolved uh, version of the antivirus. It has like the antivirus function within it, but it looks at behavior. It looks at the connections with the Internet. It learns from known techniques, tactics and procedures used by criminals. It's all mapped to like what the Russians or or the uh, Koreans are doing and the Chinese and maybe the Brazilians. There's there's signatures there and there's behaviors that are included. So even if it's not a malicious activity, but it's uh, behaving in a different way, it can stop, it can block, it it leverages artificial intelligence and machine learning. So if you're a small business, like an accountant by yourself or a lawyer by yourself, you can go look for a company that provides cybersecurity to small business individuals and ask them, can you protect my device using an an XDR? So they can do that management for you. Okay, good advice there. Let's come back to some of the hardware that we might be buying and using uh, as opposed to just thinking about software and protecting ourselves with antivirus. Uh, What about the hardware and where we buy it? Is there a threat there that we need to be aware of? Yeah, for, for for individuals, I would say the computers that are available at the stores, they, they are mostly okay. But uh, if you are an organization and you are implementing a network and you're using devices, there will be firewalls and routers and, and switches. And some of them are, as the someone called and mentioned this before, they are, they are um, built. They are built in countries where they, there's the intention to put a back, back door on those devices that will call back home and uh, exfiltrate data from Australia. So we have had cases where universities had their research stolen by countries that were under embargo. They couldn't do their research or get the medical. So they were just stealing 
you're working, your university students all researching someone is stealing, and it all enabled by using the wrong uh, hardware. So there's there's even movement. There's a there's a senator in Australia that has a project to Australia to partner with countries that are also allied in terms of uh, warfare, and we just get the the hardware developed just buy from those countries that will have the same uh, consideration for security and the same respect for Australian data. As Christians, we are so often concerned with those things that are shaping the way we think. And uh, we'll often say, of course, on a Christian program like this, uh, let the way you think be shaped by what you're gleaning from the Bible because you want to open yourself to God's inspiration, his wisdom, his revelation to think what is true and what is right. But so often now social media is being used to manipulate the way people think about all sorts of different topics, including uh, what you might even think about faith. Let's talk about some of the social media uh, and the manipulative way that it can actually change the thinking of a whole generation, of a whole society. I'm thinking of TikTok right now. What do you, as a cybersecurity expert, uh, think of TikTok? And there might be other social media platforms too, but let's choose that one to talk about. What are your thoughts here, Virginia? Yeah, so if we look at TikTok First, the, the country that owns the, the software, now it belongs to China, they have different privacy legislation. They have different legislation ar- around pro- uh, collecting logs and let you know what is happening with your account. So you don't have visibility, you don't have control. But the tool is also leveraged as a distraction. And it's been said that inside China, TikTok's used for, by schools for education purpose. But our kids now speaking as a mom, um, they are losing the focus. They spend hours just with their finger moving from one post to the other. And um, um, most of the content has ideological ideological um, um, value to that. So it's a, a tool for distraction. And uh, being a Christian, how I see it is like you worship something. We were created to worship. We were created to worship God. And if we're not worshiping God, we end up worshiping something else drugs, addiction, pornography, uh, or social media, the content on TikTok, people became real worshippers. They spend hours of their days. If you do, there's some tools that control, they check the time invested on looking at one application on your device. And those are sad numbers, especially when you're dealing with kids, to see that a kid spent four years slaved looking at that that application. It might raise an alarm bell uh, with the thought that China uses TikTok for educational purposes within China. But the rest of the world, somehow or other, it has been used for controlling a generation um, of uh, the complete distraction from not just in a spiritual Christian sense, but a complete distraction towards anything that is about nothing, uh, anything that is a distraction from things that might be important. How important is it to recognize that there are attacks that are coming against us that are not just about our money and not just about power politically, not just about a military threat, but also the control of a generation or even to the side of uh, political ideologies and and shaping people or the the people that are using that. How do you think about those things, Virginia? Yeah, those tools are used for misinformation and for uh, to propagate ideologies and like our kids and, and the goal coming from now from a background in intelligence and terrorism, the goal is uh, for 
in one generation to have the kids change their mind and seeing the world in a different way. And individuals inside of China, they don't even know that TikTok is different outside because there's censorship in China. China doesn't use the same cloud providers as us. They don't have the same Facebook. Even they don't have Uber. They, they all have their uh, specific proprietary solutions. And, uh, and the Chinese government has made it clear before that if you're hacking in China, if you're hacking and you're hacking someone outside China, that is entrepreneurship if you're copying their ideas. But if you're doing that inside China, it's espionage and they kill you. So for their tools, for their rules, they apply differently inside of the country and outside. And I'm not talking about the Chinese individual, the normal person, because most of the time they're not even aware. I'm talking about the largest country that is... Um, is the state sponsors um, cybercrime and attacks and those type of uh, um, methodologies. Hacking inside China is espionage. Uh, hacking outside of China is yeah. entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Uh, that's an interesting way, isn't it, to, to put ourselves in the picture and say, well, we're the ones who might be the target of those entrepreneurs who yeah. might want to hack into what we do. So uh, taking our eyes off things that are important, uh, let me come back to your faith for a few moments because as a woman of faith, a strong Christian who sees a missional uh, way in which you do business, in which your expertise is applied to what you do, uh, there's something very powerful about that because this good hacker, bad hacker idea has so many different dimensions to it, but we need to have more good hackers with a Christian world view and an understanding of how to defend one another, to shepherd one another. Take us a little deeper into that, what your aspiration might be, Virginia, for people to use their skills, if they have skills in this space, to be used to the glory of God. Yeah, so actions, they speak louder than, than words. And uh, people around me, um, usually they say, I want to be like you. I want to achieve that much. I want to train all this. And um, with RightSec, we give back to community. Like we, we sit on panels and speak out of, out of cost. We are mentoring girls because there's this, there's mo- this movement to have women in cybersecurity, but we cannot just throw them under the bus. We need to train them uh, and they need to the merit to get and do this role. So... Being a Christian and um, operating based on principles and having this call to serve has inspired other people around me. And um, and I think we all Christians can do this. And I have this invite. If you're still not sure what job you want to do, what profession you want to you want to follow, you should look into cybersecurity as the profession of the future. Everyone is going to need it. And you get the fulfill- fulfillment of serving and protecting and um, doing a good thing. I'll often say that our ministry as a Christian believer is not always to be the pastor of a church, but as we all have our own relationship with Christ and we're serving God in his mission, whatever we're putting our hand to needs to have that dimension to it. I can't help but think of Jesus' words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, and then uh, there's uh, an exhortation in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So for the Christian believer, with whatever career we might be involved in, and it's a career like yours, which is defending our cybersecurity, doing it all for the glory of God. This is really something that every Christian believer in whatever pursuit we have in our careers has to be a central part of what we're called Mm -hmm. to do. 
Yes, I agree. And I was I was the head of security for a large company before where all the social initiatives became very, very important. And I said, I'm, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start my own business. And uh, the per- person was surprised. They said, but you love us. You work so well. You're be- our best employee. And I just mentioned the Bible, like do to the man as if you're doing to the Lord. So doesn't matter if my uh, faith was not aligned to that organization, if I was not fully on board with the initiatives. They were paying my wages, and I was working hard. I was putting all the effort and dedicating myself. And um, when you don't work hard and you don't take things serious and you don't operate based on principles, you might get yourself in trouble. Like we responding to incidents, we see people that, oh, I tried to download this software that was I needed to pay, but I installed a VPN and I, I downloaded for free. It's piracy. And then I downloaded a virus as well. Oh, I was subscribing to pornography, the sites that have more malware downloaded to my device and I lost all my data. So when we try to, or I clicked on this link because they said I want 20 million, like you never subscribe to this service, why you want it? You never, you didn't do any work to deserve it, but we agreed greedy and we want to easy money. So like, I think the Christian's value also help you being protected from following for the temptation that leads you to a cyber compromise. Wow, that is just so profoundly wise. And uh, it's a point we're going to have to leave our conversation. But there might be listeners today and you might have a small business, medium-sized business, you might have a big business. And uh, Virginia works with some large organizations, government departments here in Australia, blue chip companies here, here in Australia too, to connect with Virginia her business is called Right Sec, a Brisbane-based operation. She's working with large overseas corporations, government departments and some blue-chip Australian companies. Her background is in military intelligence. Been some tremendous insight that we've been able to draw out today and let's hope we have an opportunity to do another uh, segment like this and we'll pick up on a whole lot of dimensions that we didn't even get to explore. Virginia Caligare is our guest and to connect with Virginia her website is rightsec that's r i g h t s e c dot com dot a u rightsec dot com dot a u Virginia thank you so much for taking some time to share your deep insights with us today on 2020 thank you for having me it was a pleasure Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.